This morning's reading is taken from Exodus chapter 16 and it can be found on page 73 of the Pew Bibles. Exodus 16, beginning to read at at verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the (coughs) desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they had measured it by the omer, he he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. 
So Moses became angry with them. Each morning everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses had commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me show you something on the map. Uh, you might recognize this. Today, this is what is Egypt. That's the Sinai Peninsula, which is a part of Egypt today. And then uh, this is where Israel is, and then where Gaza is. Okay? So, at this point in Exodus, they had left the Goshen, the Nile Delta, and they had come down here, crossed the Red Sea here, and uh, they had just left Elim, and they are somewhere here. So that took about, about a month. And then they went on, on their way to Mount Sinai, where they were to receive God's commandments, including the Ten Commandments. And then this was another 30-day journey to Kadesh Barnea. Just remember the name, Kadesh Barnea, which is here. For this is where they were, they were told to enter the Promised Land, Canaan. So at this point, here to there is 58 days, so about two months. 
All right. So we don't need the map anymore. So at this point of the narrative, uh, it is exactly a month since they left Egypt. And this was where their troubles started. They had left Egypt with plentiful supply, and, uh, uh, but provisions were beginning to run out now. Their physical requirements, their needs, were their most pressing problems on, and, and their main struggle on their journey to Canaan from Egypt. They had other troubles, like enemies who wanted to destroy them, and the difficulties of 12 tribes trying to form a nation. So they had lots of difficulties, and us here, like them, we live in a very broken and fractured world where troubles come at us from every direction, uh, external to us, natural disasters, accidents, illnesses, and extremes of climate. But like them, it's not only the external factors that create trouble for us. Many of our problems are self-inflicted. We make bad decisions, we make bad choices, we let our sinful des desires destroy us. Uh, our wrong attitudes and behaviours are what the Bible calls sin, which is simply us wanting our own way and casting aside God and his laws. In Mark 7, Jesus said this, It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Every one of those sins mentioned by Jesus, they committed in the wilderness, along with worshipping idols made with their hands. In the reading today, Moses recounted how the Israelites responded with wrong attitudes and behaviours incurring God's wrath. We read, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, the, the, to kill the whole assembly with hunger. This was their constant mantra throughout their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. They grumbled against God's leader, Moses. Nothing was good enough for them. Despite God giving them everything they needed, <coughs> instead they looked back to the good old days, which weren't the good old days. They were deluded for 430 years. They lived under Pharaoh's uh, rule as slaves, suffering ill treatment, overwork, and lacking any freedom. God had just released them from one of the superpowers of the day. And uh, God performed many miracles on, the, on their behalf, especially the parting of the Red Sea to enable them to cross the sea uh, because the Egyptian military were, were, were bearing on them. And so God saved them from mass killing, from genocide. They even left with silver and gold from the Egyptians. God had given them everything they required, yet they cruelly accused Moses 
of bringing them out of Egypt with evil intention to kill them by starvation. They behaved appallingly. All they needed to do was to turn to God and ask for provision. God had already shown that He cared and He will provide and He loves them. But no, instead of turning to God, they grumbled and complained. And yet, despite their ingratitude and the slur on His character, God still provided for them. In verses 11 to 15, we read, God said, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So that evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew uh, around the camp when the dew was gone thin flakes like frost were on the ground and uh, when the Israelites saw it they said what is this for they did not know what it was Moses said to them it was the bread the Lord has given you to eat so they had to grind this manna on millstones and beat it on the mortar and they cook it in pans and made cakes of it. Its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. Numbers 11.8 describes that. But as a test of, of their, their trust and obedience in him, God gave them two simple instructions, just two. One, gather the manna first thing in the morning. They can collect as much as they as they need, make as much bread as they want for the day, but they were not to store any of the manna because God promised that he will provide for them daily, not tomorrow's provision, but today's provision. But no, verse 20, they did not listen to Moses. Some of them left part of it till the morning and he bred worms and stank and Moses was angry with them. Second instruction, gather double on the sixth day, but not collect any on the seventh, because there won't be any on the seventh day. So they were to gather daily and then double the amount on Friday, which is the sixth day of the Jewish week, because the following day, our Saturday, is their Sabbath day, the day of rest, the day God said that just take one day out and worship God and spend time together. And what did they do? Verse 27, On the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found none. This grieved God. And the Lord said to Moses, How long? How long will they refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? One of Israel's greatest and most persistent sins was their constant complaints, grumblings, and, and murmurings against Moses. At one point, they threatened to stone Moses and Aaron the priest to death. They failed to see that their sin was directed against God. Complaining that they wished they had never left Egypt was a direct insult to God. Later on, when they reached Kadesh Barnea, do you remember I pointed 
yeah, to Kadesh Barnea on the top, they again grumbled against God and refused, refused to enter the promised land. God says, go. They refused. As a result, God said, have it your way. And he punished them for the lack of faith and condemned them to a 40-year journey. What would have been a two-month trip from Egypt to Canaan lasted 40 years. Now that's a warning to us, isn't it? God clearly regarded their constant grumbling and complainings and murmurings as a very serious sin. But why? They were only grumbling. But are there lessons for us today? Yes, there are. Lesson one. All sin is ultimately against God. Though their complaints were against Moses, it was ultimately directed against God. This is the most important lesson we need to learn today. In verse 8, Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. In Psalm 51, we read this. King David, despairing of his sin, said this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Grumbling is primarily a spiritual problem. Yes, we do sin against one another, we do hurt each other, we act with wrong motives, and we are selfish, self-seeking, messed up people, aren't we? I am. Yet we cannot see our problems aright unless we see that every sin that we commit is also against God, to whom we have to give an account one day. What is sin? It is not simply the obvious acts that uh, uh, result from wrong actions and behaviour. It is the attitude of our mind and heart which leads us to rejecting God and His laws. We can blame our circumstances, we can claim it's somebody else's fault, but God wants us to take responsibility for our actions, our attitudes, our behaviour. God wants us to live a life holy and pleasing to Him. This is our responsibility. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul referring to this period in the history of the Israelites, warns the Corinthians and us here today to avoid the sins of the Israelites while in the wilderness. Specifically, he warned them against idolatry, sexual immorality, which the biblical definition is simply any sexual activity outside marriage between a man and a woman and rebelling against God's leaders and grumbling against the plans and purposes of God. 
grumbling like all sin is against God and God hates sin. Lesson two, grumbling shows our lack of trust in God. It reveals our desire to control our lives and circumstances, doesn't it? God expects us to trust him in every situation with the assurance that he is the loving father, unchangeable and utterly trustworthy. When Jesus' disciples asked him how they should pray, how did Jesus teach them? He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus taught them to trust God daily just like God provided manna in the wilderness. God wants us to trust him every day of our lives. In Jesus' great teaching about anxiety in Matthew 6, he starts with this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. And then Jesus ends this great teaching uh, with these words. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. God will take care of you. But he wants to do more than just providing your needs. He wants to teach us to trust him. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, we read this. So God humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. True spiritual peace and meaning in life is found only in Jesus. So, lesson one, all sin is directed against God, ultimately. Two, grumbling shows our lack of trust in Him. Thirdly, before that, there are things we can control and things we cannot control. But God reassures us that He is with us through our darkest hours. In Deuteronomy 31, we read this, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. It does not mean that we pretend we don't have any problems or difficulties. But it does mean that we can bring all our needs to God and seek his help and guidance. We pray for his strength. We pray for his wisdom which he promises to give to all who ask. We seek to deal with our problems using principles from the Bible. 
isn't this a very different thing from constant grumbling and, and grumbling? It is an attitude of mind and heart. Lesson three, grumbling shows our ingratitude to God. It shows our discontent against God. We are in effect saying to God, you, God, and what you are doing in our lives is not good enough. <coughs> Contrast this with God, what God desires from us. The Apostle Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Gratitude to God leads to deep peace and contentment. In gratitude, we are reminding ourselves that God is with us and He's working for the good of those who love Him. In Jeremiah 20, 29, God says this, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Not only that, the New Testament uh, reminds us that Jesus suffers with us through all our suffering, and he will bring good out of all situations. And the last lesson, for grumbling destroys us personally and collectively. A habit of grumbling changes you as a person and sours your relationship with others. We lose our peace in Christ. Worse still, we become self-righteous. We blame and judge others harshly instead of seeing what is in our heart. The constant grumbling about a situation, a person, circumstances, co-workers, the church, your family, become you as a person. It defines you in the end. Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says this, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. How so? It is because grumbling makes us deaf to God's voice speaking to us. We no longer fix our eyes on Jesus and his plans for our lives. Therein lies your eternal destiny. Grumbling spreads discontent and fractures the community. It destroys others' ability to cope with life, whether inside or outside the church. A complaining attitude is contagious. It spreads like wildfire. We saw that on television uh, last year with all the wildfires in Europe, didn't we? Grumblers bring you down. Andy Cope, in his book, The Art of Being Brilliant, coins the phrase mood hoovers. You know, like your vacuum cleaners, hoovers. He says this, quote, 
I've coined the term mood hoover to describe someone who's stuck in a rut of negativity. I'm not talking about depression, more of a habitual low-level whinging. I call them mood hoovers because they are expert at sucking all the positivity out of you, leaving you feeling exhausted too." Unquote. Spiritually speaking, it pulls people away from trusting God and seeking His goodness to us. So, the four lessons. All sin is ultimately directed against God. Grumbling shows our lack of trust in God. Grumbling shows our ingratitude to God. And grumbling destroys us and others. So in summary, all our grumblings are ultimately against God. They are our complaints against His plans, His purposes, and His way of doing things. We often complain that our prayers are not answered because we want it that time in this way and now. <coughs> they say to God that nothing He does is good enough. We can do better. We want control and power over our lives rather than trusting in Him. Let me end with a story. Uh, when Kay and I were in Bristol before we came here, we met regularly with a group of Christians. There was an elderly uh, believer, a woman who was utterly committed to God. She was a woman you love to be with. Every time you meet her, she smiles at you and is always so pleased to see you. Never grumbles about anything and always thanking God for this and that blessing and how wonderful her Christian family is to her, her fellow Christians. Oh yes, she had medical problems and uh, she doesn't ignore them. She seeks help when she needs to. She did not have very much and uh, she did not claim even the state pension. She depended on faith and fellow Christians just supplied her all her needs and she lived very simply. But by the way she talked, you would have thought that she was a millionaire. God is so good. He's blessed me abundantly. I have this, I have that. God just provides for her and she trusted God daily. Every time you leave, after meeting her, you, you leave with a, with a sense of having been in God's presence and the joy of the Holy Spirit and, and feeling that God is good. Twenty years or more after she passed away, she's still fresh in my memory. You know, that's the sort of person I want to be remembered for when I die. Someone who points others to the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us, who cares for us, who is with us in our pain and sorrows. I hope to be someone whom others can sense a reality of God in this world. So the question is, do you and I draw people to Christ or do we push them away from him? 
by our life, by our attitude, and by our actions. Amen.